0: The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501c3 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of new media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation which is fully tax deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com.
1: We are delighted to be joined by Father Thomas Acklin, a Benedictine monk and priest. He's also a professor of theology and psychology at St. Vincent College and Seminary in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. He earned his doctorate in theology and psychology of religion from the Catholic University at Louvain in Belgium and trained in psychoanalysis at the Pittsburgh Psychoanalytic Institute, where he is now a faculty member. Uh, he is a spiritual director, psychoanalyst, and author of another book called The Unchanging Heart of the Priesthood. Uh, today, though, we are going to be focusing on The Passion of the Lamb. Father Thomas, good morning. Welcome to our program. Good to be with you. I would uh, just like to uh, ask you the opening uh, question that that we do of most authors. uh, Why the need to to write The Passion of the Lamb?
2: The uh, effort uh, that I've made throughout a lot of my teaching of seminarians has been to, in teaching Christology, to really try to bring them to the heart of the mystery of Christ. And the heart of Christ is certainly opened up to us on the cross, and mm-hmm. uh, so that that's certainly been at the heart of my spirituality, but it has seemed to me that in our times, uh, the new evangelization that Pope John Paul II called for is really a call for us to go to the heart of the gospel, of the teachings of the Church that we've had these 2,000 years, but that very often we can kind of carry along with us without getting to the heart of them. And so that kind of an urgency in our times uh, really led me to want to do a little writing in Christology, and uh, then this particular project with servant books came up uh, and uh, turned into The Passion of the Lamb.
0: It's so compelling what you put forth in the book, Father, addressing that question of where is Christ in these discussions, because you do point out that in issues of morality and religion these days... And especially in our country, but throughout the whole world, Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus, doesn't seem to be present.
2: That's right, and I, I think even in church circles, Catholic church circles, other Christian groups, there is you know, an alarming uh, way in which we can begin to take a certain set of beliefs and moral teachings, and you know, kind of have those there alongside certain other considerations and. Other points of view, now that that's very good from the point of view of ecumenism and of dialogue, but very often it eviscerates. you know, it really takes the uh, the vitality out of uh, Christ and out of the gospel. and we begin trying to apply a certain uh, ideal in whatever compromised way we can. Again, in some ways, there are reasons to praise that, because we're trying to do the best we can in often very hostile situations mm-hmm. that there are toward the Catholic Church. But the danger is that uh, we really lose the, the force, the the radical life of Christ, the personal meaning of Christ, who didn't just leave us, an institution and a set of ideas, but who remains with us, as you said, uh, before ascending into heaven, I will be with you Always, and that personal presence of Christ in the Eucharist and in the church, and in so many ways is has to constantly be renewed for us
0: right He really commissioned us as members of his body to go out there and and stand up for many for the poor, for the naked the hungry and the- church, the Catholic Church has taken high profile stands, as you point out in your book on contemporary issues. Unfortunately, though, sometimes the members of that body, of that church, uh, don't stand up when the church does make a, a stand.
2: That's right, and I, I'm afraid that uh, how explicit the agenda is, I'm afraid it, it is explicit. I, I think there's kind of an agenda in our country mm-hmm. uh, where Catholicism and religion in general are actually much stronger than in European countries and other First World countries, I think that there's a tendency to want to make Catholics kind of get in line mm-hmm. and just sort of be part of this country and keep your faith to yourself, and that is probably one of the most insidious uh, attacks against the Church. Amen. It isn't a frontal attack, It, although there has been uh, a lot of attack on the Church, but I think many Catholics buy into this idea that, well, I'm a Catholic, but... You know, I still have a conscience, and uh, not only that, even though my conscience clearly tells me that abortion is wrong and things like that, that I don't have any obligation, uh, actually, I don't have any right to bring my beliefs out into the public square and into the debates and into politics. Uh, many Catholics have, you know, just sort of quietly uh, gone to the sidelines with their faith and sometimes have felt... Uh, entitled to make up their own minds and have felt that they can still remain Catholic uh, and sort of do it their own way. And uh, I think that there's a, a strong force in our nation wanting Catholics to be like that, and certain Catholic politicians and public figures are, are front-staged because they are examples of people who in some sense call themselves Catholic but can vote and can think and mm-hmm. act any way they want.
1: You know, we really have to rail against that kind of pluralism, don't
2: we? we? Absolutely do, because that's not pluralism at all. That is, you know, I don't want to call it necessarily hypocrisy, but it is certainly a divided heart. Right.
0: And that's, as you point out in the book, that the new evangelization is necessary in these times because there's a passionate need for the truth to be made explicit.
2: Exactly. I think the, you know, everything we've been saying here has to do with a tendency to leave Christ and leave our faith implicit, meaning, yeah, you know, we believe these things and, you know, we sort of have them there in the background. Christ insists on being in the foreground, and mm-hmm. uh, we need to, as Catholics, and again, I think that this is honestly uh, what Pope John Paul was calling for with the New Evangelization. It is making the Gospel explicit. Putting it out front, integrating it into culture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not letting it be a you know, some kind of a subculture or because then it's too easy to consign it to museums and holy days. It has to be explicit. We need to it needs to be clear that we're following Christ and clear that we're Catholic. And we've in some ways lost the respect even of some Islamic people because we are not really living our faith, and we're not really consistent with what we say we believe in terms of how we live and the type of culture we're producing. Right.
0: I love the section on it's entitled Born Again, and you talk so lovingly about those who are in the Church that have returned to a faith that is born out of just a sincere devotion to the Church. I think, as you said, they're armed with their catechism of the Catholic Church, protected with scapulars and medals, loving Jesus and Mary, and looking for opportunities to go to Mass and confession, and to adore the exposed Blessed Sacrament. And there are other members in the Church who look at them and say they're foolish.
2: That's right. I I think that um, one of the most incredibly powerful and uh, hope-producing things of our times are the powerful conversions that so many people, young people, but people of all ages, have. And whether they have been raised Catholic in a mediocre way or nominal way, whether they've fallen away from the faith, or whether they've had no faith, mm-hmm. uh, powerful conversions. Seminaries are full of men like that, religious communities that are thriving, which are always the ones, that are explicit in uh, ways of witnessing radically to the charism they're embracing. All of this is um, just really an awesome renewal that has to be of the Spirit. And these very powerful things that have been at the heart of Catholicism, but that had somewhat become eclipsed by other agendas, such as Eucharistic devotion. Uh, such as uh, the sacrament of uh, confession, reconciliation. All of these things, I think, uh, have really been ways of making our faith more explicit. And those entering into this kind of conversion are really, I think, going to be the new evangelization, are already bringing about the new evangelization. And at the moment, the Catholic Church is a bit polarized, because... There are many who uh, sort of adopted, uh, as a consequence of Vatican II, I don't think it was the intention of Vatican II at all, mm-hmm. who developed a very implicit kind of faith right. uh, that is not really strong in Catholic identity nor strong in Christian identity. Right. And they think these people are radical and just clinging to uh, externals and ritualistic and nostalgic, and it's none of that. It's the Holy Spirit.
1: Uh, We are talking with uh, Father Thomas Ackland. Uh, The Passion of the Lamb is his book, The Self-Giving Love of Jesus.
0: That section on conversion as shrinking, that those people that we are just speaking about who embrace their faith, not only in their ritual, I mean, in the outward, but also they bring it inward and they shrink, as you say, to themselves.
2: Exactly. Jesus, uh, and this is something that, uh, you know, over... My lifetime and during my more than 25 years as a priest, this is something that has really only uh, come deeply into my heart and into my, my own conversion, into my own spiritual life in the last five or ten years, and that is how many times uh, Jesus uh, calls upon us to be like little children and to be the least, the lowest, the last, mm-hmm. the most little and uh, if anyone wants to have a wonderful um, experience uh, during their reading of sacred scripture, uh, to just go through the Gospels and see how many places there is a child, mm-hmm. uh, a little one, there is someone who is reduced to the last or lowest place, and how this is the uh, this is the way in which the most powerful graces come. Christ's most powerful uh, act, greater than any sign or miracle he ever worked, was from the cross. And there he was the least, he was the most despised, the most humble. And there is an active humbling of ourselves, which is not masochistic, it's not self-hating, it's not um, guilt-ridden. But it is, it is a humility that loves and knows Christ. Being little and small like that is really necessary for us to enter the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus said. And the conversion comes to these little ones. <laughs> and the, anybody who really goes through powerful conversion in Jesus Christ, uh, is always going to have that experience of feeling like they've lost everything only to find that the, everything they thought they had was often uh, a false security, and that Christ is powerful in his grace. The Catholic Church is going through much purification right now, and mm-hmm. it's wonderful because uh, I think this very process of uh, becoming little in order to lead
0: is taking place. And I I think in that, in being little, I I know from watching my own children grow up, Father, that they saw so many things with their heart as opposed with their eyes.
2: Exactly. And that's so beautiful, isn't it? I I just wonder, uh, you know, I've always been a very sensitive person, but I can see in uh, so many people this just most lovable, beautiful uh, littleness, and even people who are rich and powerful when they come to confession, when they go to pray, if come to spiritual direction, if they're doing it rightly, you just see this vulnerability, this nakedness. And, you know, as I say in the book, the vulnerability is, uh, you know, vulnerized the Latin word for wounds. If we're vulnerable in the passion of Christ, if we have our wounds and our vulnerability in His wounds, then there is a tremendous, tremendous transformation that takes place in
0: Christ. All right. And it's so contrary to what we understand, given even in the Enlightenment period that we've just we're emerging from over the last couple hundred years, to believe and to sit in a presence that we can't see.
2: That's right. And, you know, the Eucharistic devotion, the devotion to the Blessed Mother, especially in her more contemplative, uh, humble acceptance of God's will. All of these things are so attractive to so many young people uh, because it involves being quiet, listening, waiting before the Lord, becoming vulnerable before the Lord. The power that Eucharistic adoration has, even for very young people, Youth 2000 and some of these other wonderful movements have shown that You know, you might say, oh, young people could never sit still in front Mm -hmm. of the, uh, the Blessed Sacrament. And yet, they find something there that, on a natural level, as well as on a supernatural level, they've been hungering for. There's nothing contemplative in our society, and they long for that. And in that type of adoration, and in the prayer of the Rosary and other Marian devotion, certainly in the Mass, um, and in the other sacraments, this is where there's such a hunger for that kind of listening, that kind of silence, that
1: kind of peace. Yeah, and, and we really need that too, don't we, Father? I mean, we, we need to take time uh, to, to wind down and pray.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, the, the argument or the pitch that I make is really for us to do that um, every single day of our lives, to certainly attempt to receive the Eucharist and to participate in Mass, but also to spend the quiet time, if possible, before the Blessed Sacrament, mainly listening. Uh, certainly pouring our hearts out, but always taking. I, I usually use the ratio at least as much time listening as we've spent talking Beautiful.
0: and encountering Christ. You know, and today so many people would rather have us; they would rather be told who Christ was than to experience them That's Him right. themselves.
2: And our liturgies, you know, sometimes have become so very uh full of words. And, yep. you know, that even the Mass, uh, you know, so much activity, so much singing. Uh, I, I think the longing for the Latin Mass and for, um, you know, the Tridentine Mass and, and various things of that nature are not nostalgia. I think a lot of it is longing for the mystery. Well said. Mm-hmm. And longing to have the intimacy with Christ that sometimes all the talking and even priests and religious and religious people uh, find it too easy to just go on and on and talk and often don't take the time themselves to pray.
0: Right. It's so true, and it really hurts the faithful, ultimately, because it confuses them. I mean, when you have scholars that will look at the life of Christ and dissect it down to such uh, almost too much, and then not even, you know, I'll be frank, the work of the Jesus Seminar,
2: yeah, terrible. Oh, yeah. And, and even I mention in my book, you know, the resistance to Mel Gibson's movie by many Catholics yep. and by many uh, priests and scholars and people like this, because they argue that it is too literal and naive, uh, you know, the tendency to really take the Gospels apart, as you were just saying, and to dissect them, and basically to take the life and the power out of them. Mm -hmm. To be skeptical, it's that enlightenment skepticism again, where everything is, you know, you sort of doubt everything and question everything, and then you become minimalist in what you believe. Well, you know, first of all, that takes away the power of the person of Christ, Mm -hmm. and leaves us with a few historical data that, you know, some scholar or another has decided uh, are probably true, and... How do you allow uh, yourself to know Jesus that way? Mm-hmm. And the, I think that there is a, you know, just like a very energetic resistance in the heart of each one of us to, as Pope John Paul said more and more toward the end of his life, to gazing upon the face of Christ. And mm-hmm. uh, the movie showed, you know, that uh, all through that movie, in, uh, The Passion of Christ, everybody's turning away from uh, making eye contact with Christ. And I think that that's what we do in our daily lives. I sometimes say, you know, practically everybody you talk to who's serious about their faith will say, I don't pray enough. And sometimes the reason is I'm lazy. Sometimes the reason is I'm too busy. The reason I think that uh, most of us don't pray and don't just simply be still before the Lord is because we're afraid of the intimacy. We don't want to look at his face. We don't want to really see him and to allow ourselves to meet that love face-to-face,
0: heart-to-heart, wound-to-wound. And I think it's, for many of us, we don't really want to understand suffering. I mean, we say, how can God allow suffering? How can he suffer on the cross for us? But as you enter into that mystery, you begin to understand why we do.
2: Exactly, because it is the mystery love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't want to give ourselves because we're afraid to lose ourselves. But as Jesus said, if we don't lose ourselves, we'll never find ourselves. And, you know, it's just a simple gospel message. We want to keep control. Mm-hmm. We don't want to lose ourselves. We don't want to die. We don't want to have to give up anything. You know, Pope Benedict XVI said it so beautifully at the Young people, but he said, Be not afraid, as my venerable predecessor said, be not afraid of what Christ asks of you. Mm-hmm. He asks everything. And he will give you everything. That's and we right. have to the again, that has to be explicit. That can't simply be some sort of vague idea that I'm trying to steer my life by. It has to be explicitly lived out. And I think young people in many many Catholics really want to do that and often don't have the leadership or the support of their fellow Christians to do it.
1: And I think a lot of people, uh, Father, uh, myself included, at times have that problem of literally dying unto oneself. That's right. Uh, That is uh, is such a hard concept to really get around, but you need to take time in prayer to really explore that.
2: Well, that's right. And and, uh, the only way to die to ourselves is to die in Christ's dying. I think that we, um, you know, for us it is not possible. You know, my good friend Scott Hahn was saying that in a talk uh, just the other day. You know, he was saying that, yeah, for us it's not possible. Absolutely not possible. But in Christ, all things are possible. And the only way we can die to ourselves is by dying to ourselves in Christ's dying. And that's, again, the reason why the passion, which reveals the the very heart of God, Mm -hmm the way God loves is the only refuge we have and the only source of strength, our only chance of really loving as we are able to do in the image and likeness of God.
0: As you you bring us to the point in your book, Father, too, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and has promised that we will rise with him, that's the victory, that's the reason for that that suffering and that that passion.
2: You know, and the resurrection of Christ shows us what uh, this life means. And it shows us what even the suffering and the dying that we have uh, is about. Namely, it is about new life. But again, the grain of wheat has to fall into the ground and die. And that dying is not simply the event at the end. That dying is all through life, dying daily, as St. Paul says in so many different ways. And doing all of this in Christ. So the the big thing I think that um, you know lets most of us, many of us Catholics, all Christians, uh, really struggle more than we need to is that we're still trying to do it on our own. We need to do mm-hmm. it only in Christ and as explicitly and as totally in Christ as we can. Then uh, I think we will find ourselves uh, more surrendering than uh, wearing ourselves out with uh, our spiritual efforts. Mm -hmm.
0: That's what's so beautiful about your book, Father, because I think what you've done, I think it comes from your background as a psychoanalyst and having listened to the stories, you guide us through that uh, merging of ourselves and, and that shrinking to ourselves. And all the fears and all the doubts that will pop up, you at the right point address it and then continually, gently guide us back to that embracing of the passion of the Christ.
2: Well, I never intended to write a book, but, you know, um, I, when I did write it, uh, the editor had invited me, uh, you know, you teach, you've studied, done all that. Instead, she said, why don't you just write from your heart and from your experience and from your prayer? And that's what I did. And, um, you know, it really is, uh, the book contains you know, what I have gained from the Gospels and from my own relationship with Christ, and also what I have seen in trying to help other people uh, along the way of uh, their path of conversion
0: in Christ. You have also just authored another book that was recently released by Emmaus Road.
2: That's correct. That's uh, called The Unchanging Heart of the Priesthood, and uh, It's written, it primarily focuses on uh, priesthood uh, as the uh, radical self-giving love of a man who is called uh, to the priesthood sacramentally uh, through the sacrament of ordination. Uh, All of us are uh, called to a universal priesthood by the sacrament of baptism. Some men are called also to ordained priestly ministry through the sacrament of orders, and In our times, uh, there has been not only a shortage of priestly vocations, but some crisis of priestly life. And uh, so in the book, uh, I wind up focusing a great deal uh, on sexuality, on celibacy, on intimacy in the priesthood. But I do this primarily in terms of intimacy with Christ. And then through that, the intimacy with other persons that a celibate uh, man who is a priest uh, is able to live out through the very special charism and gift of celibacy. And uh, so it's it's a call for that, and it's a book meant for priests, but it's also a book very much meant for those who love priests and who want better to understand uh, things about what exactly the the priesthood is involved, uh, what's involved in it. And not only the struggles, but once again, the only possible way uh, for priesthood uh, to be lived by a man is by living it in the one priest, who is Jesus Christ. And I think that uh, I, I am as confident about the priesthood in the Catholic Church as I am uh, confident about uh, the movement of the Spirit throughout the whole Church. Namely, there is powerful renewal. But we also need to be honest to look at the reality of our humanity, of our sexuality, uh, of our own freedom of will, and to understand how those are taken up into the grace of priesthood. Mm
0: -hmm. We really would like to have you on again very soon, Father, to discuss that, because I think you're very wise in saying that it's not just for priests, but I think for the faithful Mm -hmm. who are raising the children, the men and women who are called to service in a special way, especially those boys who are being called to priesthood, that we nurture them and encourage them to follow that vocational call because only through that will they find the peace that they're searching for. And I think there are more vocations out there. We're just squashing them.
2: Yes. So many wonderful men are coming into the seminary now. That picture is not adequately presented by the media. Right. And, again, there's such great
1: hope. All right. And Father, we want to thank you very much for uh, spending time with us. Uh, uh, he is the uh, author of the book, uh, The Passion of the Lamb, The Self-Giving Love of Jesus. And as you point out, uh, crucifixion, passion, and death of our Lord uh, really unveils, exposes, and uh, frees us all. Uh, Father Thomas Ackland, Father, uh, could you uh, impart a blessing for us this I morning? I would
2: be very happy to do so. May God, the source of all blessings, bless each and every one of us with the grace he or she needs most at this moment. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and
1: the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. God bless.